And you're just levitating across the train tracks like some sort of falcon in the night. <laughs> Welcome to this episode of Tripology. I'm Al, and I'm here with the ever-incandescent Adam. Oh, incandescent. I'm not even sure I know what that means. Like a beautiful candle. You are lighting up my life from across this video call, and I think, what a wonderful thing, finally, now, to be able to debrief live across the internet after such a long time away. Yeah, because we haven't seen each other for a while, have we? The last few episodes we were... Side by side, able to record together, and now, unfortunately, we've been ripped apart. How interesting that when our lives were governed by mundanity, we could talk very, very easily, and then as soon as everything got all hectic and we went out on different adventures, it became ever so difficult. And listeners will have heard last week that we were communicating via a series of cryptic messages in bottles, shooting emails across the airwaves and piecing them together into some sort of format that we could discuss what's been going on in our lives. Adam, I really want to get straight into today's episode because I I think, what better way to start this new era of tropology than just to discuss stories from the last little bit of travel that we've done. I don't know about you, but my life's about to get all crazy hectic. I'm going out on all kinds of adventures and journeys. So I want to use this opportunity to catch up with you. I want to hear all about Japan. Okay. I don't even know where to start because um, you haven't been to Japan, have you? But I have described what it's like. And as crazy as this is going to sound, I'm sure that people who have been to Japan would would agree with me that the way I I crudely describe Japan in comparison with other countries is that going to another country is um, it's like going to another country on the same planet, right? But Japan, because of its familiarity and you know it's an economic powerhouse, there's infrastructure there, it's very very familiar, but it's like going to the same country on a different planet. Does that make sense? Like, as, as strange as this sounds, and as ridiculous as it sounds, everything is so Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What, whatever, your, whatever you think Japan is like, it is exactly like that. Okay, so it, you, you think that Japan in itself is the stereotype of Japan? Yeah, I think so. I don't want to do it a disservice, and I'm sure there are some people that listen to this podcast who have been many more times than I have who may even live there. Um, but just from the outside looking in, I've been there twice now. And I do remember a few times walking around the streets, sort of looking at the signage or, you know, maybe it's just a, a gentleman carrying his briefcase or something or the architecture, of course. And I think, yeah, God, this is so Japanese. How Japanese is that? <laughs> awesome. Okay. It's like a, ja- a Japanese filter has been pasted over London or something. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I like it. I like the sound of it. It is somewhere that I really want to go to. I've always wanted to to visit. But of course, my impression of, of Japan as a country for backpacking certainly is quite expensive. So I'd be interested to hear your perspective on that. Have you got any specific tales, any specific stories that you would like to tell I and the listener about? during your time in Japan? Definitely. There is one story, and I will go into that, but just as you mentioned the um, the cost of Japan, I can confirm it is expensive. How's the old bank account doing? <laughs> I uh, I was in need of a bit of a blowout, Al, so I'm uh, trying not to look at the old credit card, st- credit card statements at the moment, but um, 
I stayed in a range of accommodation, so I can definitely tell you about those. I stayed in a, a Rio can as well. I'm, I'm pretty sure I mentioned that on the last episode, but these are basically Japanese inns, traditional Japanese inns that certainly in onsen areas, so hot spring areas, usually mountainous regions, they will offer hot spring baths. And they're just a, a great, it's like harking back to another era, right? The, the sort of decor inside and it's just very cute, very Japanese, very traditional. You usually sleep in a room with a tatami mat on the floor and you might have like a futon or something. You can change your, um, you know, the options you have for accommodation. But lots of people stay in these traditional inns because of the food. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, food is definitely a guiding force for you when you travel, is it not? <laughs> yeah, it is. It is almost the only reason, to be honest. But um, <laughs> yeah, the, the food there is just fantastic. You can choose dinner options or, you know, breakfast option as well. Uh, and they're they're sort of included in the package if you choose to do so. But they're they're great. You know, you've got like um, sometimes upwards of fifteen individual portions of food. Wow! And I remember I remember sitting there one morning. I'd just come back from the hot the hot spring bath, and I sat down for breakfast. It was about seven a.m. So typically it'll be like seven to nine a.m. is when you can cash in your breakfast tokens, and. The food just kept on coming. There was already a display of, say, six or seven little plates, a bit of tofu, a bit of fish. You get your rice and that kind of stuff. And I sort of said, you know, thanks very much. Oh, this is a lot of food. Oh, it's only me. And I was trying to make jokes with the with the person working there. And then he came back in and he put two more plates down. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Okay. And then another. And then some more. And then some more. And then some more. And I ended up, I might post a picture on the Instagram, actually, but there's just so many different individual plates. And just a fantastic way to to get to grips with the local cuisine in that area, right? Amazing. Amazing. I mean, I've always said that if I could choose the food of any continent, it would be Asia. And that is in no small part due to my love of Japanese cuisine. But of course, I imagine the uh, the facsimiles of Japanese cuisine that I've tried uh, pale in comparison to the actual the actual food. So. Possibly, possibly. Going back to the accommodation, the Rio Cans, some of the most expensive places you can stay. Hundreds of dollars a night if you stay in, in quite a lavish one. Um, and then obviously depending on your options, where they are. And then you've got hostels. As with everywhere, there's also sort of bed and breakfast type guest houses you can stay in, and also the the famous or infamous uh, capsule hotel. Oh, a capsule hotel! I actually stayed in a capsule hotel in Jakarta once. Oh wow! Uh, but I, but obviously, Japan, the the home of the capsule hotel. Tell me more about that. Or did was it the best night's sleep you've ever ever had? I slept quite well in that little capsule. Yeah. Yeah, because it's pitch black. I bunkered down in there and pretended that I didn't exist. Mm, yeah, I do like it. I mean, some people, certainly taller, I'm not that tall, but um, I, I imagine it is quite difficult to get your entire body in. And then, you know, you don't want to wake up to your alarm or whatever because it's pitch black in there. It's fantastic. You do get a really good night's sleep. But if you sit up too quickly and forget that you've got a, a ceiling right above your nose, then I can imagine you... Um, It'll knock yourself out kind of thing. but Some people, if you're from the Netherlands, it's like packing yourself into a tiny suitcase bit again in one of those capsules. The capsule door slides open in the morning and they're completely sealed within there. Yeah, God, that's it. <laughs> like a tin of tuna. <laughs> Hunky-dory. Um, so, so, yeah, so that's, that was uh, fantastic. Obviously, it's important to try lots of different types of accommodation. You can get a real feel for things. And then when it comes to the transport, yes, it is you know, a fully, um, can we say, sort of developed nation, uh, technological and economic powerhouse. And it's kind of 
right up there, isn't it? So it's, it's of course, going to be very expensive to travel. But I would say the train travel is definitely worth checking out because it's just an experience in itself. I said it in the last episode as well. I did actually buy one of those JR passes. I don't know if you've seen those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that, again, is hundreds of dollars, but you can kind of use it as many times as you like within a week period or 14 days or indeed 21, and it just gets more and more expensive. And you're just levitating across the train tracks like some sort of falcon in the night. <laughs> Yeah, that's it. Exactly that. You do have to be uh, a little bit conscious of which private companies own which railways. Okay. Because the the JR Pass is specific to Japan Rail, which is the private company that, that runs that network. Whereas there are some other privately owned companies where you can't use the JR Pass. So you just got to be a bit careful which trains you choose to go on. Interesting to know. I'm sure that prospective travelers to japan who are listening to this podcast will find all of this incredibly useful so feel free to email adam at tropologypodcast at gmail.com if you are about to head off on a trip to japan and you think what was the name of that pass again what do you say about private railways mm-hmm. what's the best capsule hotel if you have any of these questions you might think mm-hmm. god i need to speak to adam from tropology podcast and and you know how to do that you can reach out to him using the gmail or of course on instagram at tropology podcast Yeah, yeah, definitely send me any questions. I love chatting about Japan, as you well know. Um, So with that in mind, I'll skip forward to the the little story I wanted to share about my recent time in Japan. There's one area of Japan, Japan's kind of, um, sorry, Tokyo, specifically Tokyo, is made up of a number of different cities. I mean, to call it one city is, is not really appropriate. It's quite a few big cities that are all kind of spilling out into one another with little towns in between. But there's one area called Kichijoji. That's a really, really nice neighborhood. And it's famous for Inokashira Park, which is a lovely big park with a huge lake and lots of cute bridges and trees, woodland, this kind of thing. I highly recommend people go there just to walk around for the afternoon. And there's also the Ghibli Museum. So for, for our anime fans out there. Spirited away, cattle in the sky. Yeah, there's uh, also my neighbour Totoro, <laughs> Princess Mononoke, <laughs> and uh, and Kiki's Delivery Service, of course. Of course, Adam's favourite. <laughs> Great films, go and watch them. Uh, but that's there. And I was walking around of an afternoon, I was, um, yeah, just minding my own business, kind of taking in the scenery and stuff and walking around the lake. And when I'd come out the, the metro station to go to the park, I noticed the hustle and bustle of this izakaya. You know, loads and loads of people spilling out onto the streets. It was actually, if you imagine a a restaurant or bar that's kind of on the corner of two streets, mm-hmm. but both both of the sides were open, so you could kind of attack the central triangular shaped bar from either side. And because of that, there were lots of people sort of milling around and stuff. And it was a to your left some hustle, to your right some bustle, and straight in front <laughs> the triangular bar. <laughs> that's it uh, but loads of it's sort of a standing bar as well right but yakitori so skewers of cooked chicken and stuff and wonderful smells and the smoke was coming out into the streets and i thought when i walked past to go to the park i thought i'm definitely going in there on the way back and then after after sort of walking around the park for an hour or so i came into the yakitori place and just popped myself next to this gentleman who was probably in his 60s and we kind of, you know, oh. made eye contact, did a little nod, you know, <laughs> like, oh, you're here. Oh, yeah, I'm here. And uh, I, I don't know, I guess um, my, my the thing I want to say about Japanese people is that they're just so sweet and lovely and polite beyond anything I've experienced before. 
And we were kind of having a conversation just almost through telepathy, you know, like, because I, he was Japanese, so I assumed he didn't speak any English. Right. And I guess he assumed, because I'm white, that I wouldn't speak any Japanese. And we were, yeah, he was ordering his things and I was ordering mine and I was sort of trying to speak my um, my best Japanese, which is about 15 phrases. <laughs> All of them related to food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I was ordering things, right? I, I had... Um, was I had chicken tail, chicken like anus? Okay. It, it, can you eat that? Is that something you can eat? Stick that on a skewer and fry well, it. I don't know if it's something you can eat, Adam. You've made the claim. <laughs> chicken heart as well, really good one. Chicken neck. I've had that before. Yeah, chicken neck and um, yeah, just uh, obviously chicken breast and wing and that kind of stuff. Chicken skin, you can even get fried chicken skin. But these these are all fantastic to be eaten with beer. That is one thing I will say. All the parts of a chicken. If you ever want a good time, stick yourself into an izakaya, grab a couple of skewers and some beer, and it's um, it's just a wonderful eating experience. But after about 15 minutes, this couple of skewers on a plate came to me, and I hadn't ordered them. Oh. And as soon as they, as soon as they came out, I looked at the waiter, and I sort of shook my finger and said, yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't order this. And the guy who was at the other end of the bar looked at me and was like, that's a, a present from me to you. Wow. And I was like, oh, how sweet. And then I obviously knew he spoke a bit of English. So I scooted up next to him and I was there for the next hour chatting to him. He spoke fantastic English. He was actually a, a movie director from Tokyo who had spent most of his life as an assistant movie director based in Tokyo and the surrounds. And the very next morning, the reason why he cut our our time together short was because the next morning he had a flight up to Sapporo. So that's in Hokkaido, the the northernmost island in Japan, because he was he was shooting his first film as the main director there. No way. What a talented gentleman. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Between that and the carafe of vodka, you really, uh, you know how to, how to get some favours at the bar, don't you? Well, this is funny because this, this story then continues and I had a great experience with him. And then I went on to, um, to go back to Tokyo because I, I had basically uh, an event to go to. But uh, we haven't spoken about music that much on this podcast, which is, which is interesting because it's, it's a massive part of both of our lives. But um, there's, a, there's a band, a Japanese band, funnily enough, called Kikagaku Moyo. Now, for our psychedelic rock fans out there, they will absolute, absolutely know who they are. But Kikagaku Moyo are a band I've, I've followed for about five or six years now. I saw them in Australia live a few times. And I didn't realise, but when I was in Tokyo, the band announced just before then that they were going to disband. They were basically going to go into a hiatus and they had achieved everything they wanted to achieve as a band and this was going to be their last tour ever. And their last, their last concert, sorry, was the day before that moment that I just told you about. Oh, no. And I know... But that morning, that morning, I'd uh, got up in my hostel and um, you know I was ready to sort of go out, go out for the day, and I bumped into this guy at about seven thirty in the common room, a guy from Minnesota, and he was just changing rooms. He was in the process of changing rooms, and I said, "Oh, I'd really like the same bed, so you know I don't want to cause a fuss and this kind of stuff." And he said, "I'm just, I just need somewhere to sleep. I'm so, so tired. I've been up all night partying." And I said, oh, really? Where have you been? He said, oh, I went to a rock concert. I was like, okay, which band? And he said, oh, you probably won't know them. It's Kikigaku Moyo, a Japanese band. It was their last concert last night. Psychedelic rock, yeah. <laughs> and, my, 
my head nearly exploded. I was like, oh God, no, no, no. The last, the last concert and I've missed it. And I was actually in Tokyo for it. And he said, don't worry, you wouldn't have got tickets anyway. It's been sold out for about four months. I only got tickets on resale. And he, he was one of their sort of uh, hugest fans, right? He'd been, he'd been following around that band for, for months around the world, even seeing them in New York. And um, he's seen them in Tokyo three times that month, I think. But he said, look, what I can do, I'm actually going to a private closed-door event tomorrow night. Uh, sorry, tonight, because it was the same night as the, um, you know, the Yakitori with that guy. Yeah. And he said, he said, look, there's going to be a closed-door event in a jazz bar. It's the lead guitarist of the band. If you want, I can try and get you in. I think there's only going to be about 40 of us. Wow. But yeah, it'd be awesome if you could come. I was, I just couldn't believe my luck. I was like, really? Can I, is that all right? He was like, yeah, you just come along. Like, it's going to be fine. So lo and behold, Yakitori restaurant after walking around that park, nipped off, got the train back into Tokyo to Shibuya, went to the jazz bar. And from sort of seven, eight o'clock onwards, there was a three hour show with the lead guitarist, it was very surreal and experimental. Amazing. It was, uh, yeah, there was some some dancers and, you know, very expressive and an immersive experience walking through the crowd. What kind of dancers? This is like the Moscow story all over again. <laughs> no, they were in traditional dress, but they were, they were quite surreal with their movements and expressive and moving through the crowds, as I was saying. And it was really gripping experience, really engaging, but yeah, very psychedelic and um you know there was no drama or anything like that it was just the lead guitarist on his own but with then also a trumpet player as well for some some uh sections of the performance and i was just sitting in the corner and there genuinely was about 40 of us in this tiny room it was very intimate and i loved every minute of it amazing well i'm so happy that you got to have that really exclusive unusual and incredible experience and i'm proud of you for going traveling with such an open mind and open heart, because I think that if you are sojourning around the world with uh, an open mind to just experiencing people and having an open heart to people and, uh, and, you know, undoubtedly that guy sent that stuff to your table because you looked open and, and, and kind of ready to experience. I think that if you, if you're ready for these experiences, you uh, will receive them. And I'm proud of you for traveling in that manner. Oh, thank you very much. And and again, we've spoken about the benefits of solo travel versus group travel and this kind of thing. And I think if you do approach travel with an open mind and perhaps you're you're on your own, you never know what sort of opportunities can come your way. That's really wonderful. Was that the, the best thing that happened to you during your time in Japan? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. There are some other stories I could tell that were equally as, as enjoyable. It was just, I, I just love Japan for that because, you know, if you put your hand up and you're willing to get involved and you're very open and you want to explore, then it's just such a great playground for that, right? It's, um, it's just a country that holds a special place in my heart and one day I hope to live there. Amazing. I'm so glad you had such a wonderful time and I'm sure you've inspired many of our listeners to, uh, to, take a trip to japan i mean seems like it's the place to be this season and i uh yeah i'm I'm proud of you i'm proud of you for taking the taking the leap and doing that trip and i'm so happy it was so beautiful and you got to see some amazing music and it was all (laughs) sounds genius man well i think before we move on should we go on a five minute meditation i think that you know we've been talking about japan and you know the home of zen buddhism let's do a little Zen Buddhist style meditation break and we'll be back in a short while. 
We'll see you then. Oh, my goodness. My mind's all fizzy. <laughs> that was a great meditation session. I feel nice. I feel nice again. Oh, you look nice. Thanks very much. Glad to have you back into the land of the conscious. That's it. Nice stuff. So we did say at the beginning that we would chat about something you've done recently, and I can't wait to hear more. Yeah, man. Well, listeners, keen-eared listeners to the previous episode will know that I was just in Mexico. I'm doing a little pit stop back in the UK now, and literally in three days' time, I'm going to kick off to Morocco, where I'm going to spend like a good long time traveling with a friend who I met in South Africa. So that's pretty exciting. I'm excited about that. And I'm, I'm going to share a lot of that trip with you guys. We're going to do stories from within my backpacking experience of Morocco. So that's going to be great. But in Mexico, I was traveling with a friend who I met in South America. And yeah, listeners will remember that I told you I got pretty sick pretty early on. And I was all in bed with this flu and feeling all wretched. And, you know, travellers know one of the worst things you can be whilst you're travelling is sick. It really sucks. It's hard. You have to just, like, spend money on hostels and just lay down in a bed as the world goes by. And you're missing out on stuff. So unusual experience from that perspective. I was in the Yucatan Peninsula with... Uh, this guy, and we're great friends. He's a great travel partner. But the Yucatan Peninsula, touristy, if anything, my friend. It was, um, you know, Playa del Carmen, Cancun, a lot of tourists. But you do get to see Chichen Itza and some amazing sites. So double-edged coin with regards to what I enjoy from backpacking. But that said, apart from the sickness, apart from the tourism, obviously had a really great time. It was a great introduction back into the backpacking scene after my time in Canada. And always good just to spend time with this guy. Like it was a really cool backpacking friendship. So that was fun. Yeah, nice one. What do you think of Chichen Itza? Was that the first time you'd seen it? Oh, ever such a nice pyramid. You can clap at it and it will clap back at you loud as you like. Really? Yeah, that's one of the key features of Chichen Itza. If you send sonic waves towards it via a process of clapping, Chichen Itza itself will respond by absorbing those sound waves and firing them back at you sonically. It's quite exciting. Wow. Wow. And you were there for how many days in total? In Chichen Itza, just a few hours. But in Mexico, I was there for, for about two weeks. And Chichen Itza is accessible from... Cancun, is that right? Well, the Yucatan Peninsula is this whole area. So from Cancun, it would be a short bus ride, a few hours. I went from Valladolid, actually, which is a town kind of north of Cancun. Right. Nice one. And how big is it, just so that, you know, the listener... I've never been there, by the way, so I, I'm, I've seen pictures of you there and pictures of it, but is it like Aztec or Mayan? Well, I'll post a picture of, of me next to it, and from that picture, using perspective, listeners can deduce, I'm the height of an average-sized male from the UK, and Chichen Itza is exactly the height that it is. So you can compare those two, and from that you can deduce exactly how, uh, how big the... the, the the, the beautiful ancient monument really is. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I had a really good time. I had a really good time there once I'd recovered from the sickness. I'll, I'll say the story I'm going to tell is, is of my favourite time in, in Mexico. And I think it sums up 
something, some key thing about travel that might ring true with the listeners. Because I was in a bit of a slump, like if I'm honest, because first time back on the road, first time backpacking, we've just launched this travel podcast. I'm all excited about Mexico, about backpacking, and I'm immediately struck down with illness. And I just think, wow, you know, like no one's infallible from from the trials and tribulations of being a backpacker on the road. Like it seemed a little bit like things were going wrong, you know? Yeah. I had such a finite time in Mexico and it was already being marred by that and what really stood stands out as being a turning point where I kind of was brought back to life by Mexico was, was just the mindset change. We rented bicycles in this town called Tulum and the freedom of being able to hop aboard those bicycletters and ride around the streets, mm-hmm. like it, it shifted mine and my friend's mindset. It allowed us like to have a little bit of freedom to escape from the touristy aspects of that, of that um, peninsula. And we were just ripping around on the bicycles. And I think what was beautiful about that is we were confined to bus rides and entry tickets and hostels. And the bicycles provided us with a real sense of freedom. We were going in the back streets. We were going like off the beaten track to little uh, restaurants that the locals frequented and trying new dishes. And we went and tried to sample as many tacos as we could in an hour. And we were just like introducing little activities like that. And I think... It made me realize, or rather reasserted something which I already know, that travel is such a perspective-based activity because really all that was was a mindset thing. Um, Once the physical encumbrances of illness had had kind of been set aside, Mm -hmm. we just needed to say, well, hey, you know, this is a touristy place, but let's do non-touristy things, man. And, And just that perspective shift really like helped us have a really great time. Oh, good. Yeah, it's, you know, it's it's difficult when you travel a lot, especially if you've traveled over a long period of time, there are, you can almost see the development of, of things like Chichen Itza. I bet if someone went to Chichen Itza, say 10 or 15 years ago, it would never have been as, as touristy as it is now, right? Well, that was the thing, man, because I, I love seeing like ancient wonders of the world. It's something that really appeals to me in a visceral way. You know, like uh, I'll talk to the listeners at some point about the time I was in Egypt and was kind of sneaking around in some of the lesser known tombs and, and, and my love of the ancient world. And Chichen Itza was something that I really had on my mind as being like, God, I really want to go and see that place. And mm-hmm. I was just overwhelmed by the sheer number of people who I felt maybe didn't really give that much of a damn about Chichen Itza as much as they did clapping at Chichen Itza loudly and recording a cell phone video of the, of the <laughs> you know, it was, it was very, um, it felt very touristy and very divided from from what my sense of of that experience would be. Yeah, we just need to acknowledge that travel is an activity that centers around experience more than place, and you can define and remold those experiences. If the Yucatan Peninsula was a little pot still fresh, not yet in the kiln. We had the opportunity to mould that pot into whatever we wanted. And we did that through renting bicycles and dashing about the back streets. But really, like it just defined for me that the place is sometimes less relevant than the person you're with and the experiences you choose to have. Yeah, yeah, totally. 
it's a it's an interesting point and i'm sure that lots of people can relate to that as well because um you know thinking about when i was backpacking around let's say southeast asia i remember meeting groups of people and i used to almost in um I'm sort of ashamed to admit, admit this, really, but if a place didn't grab me and I was happy to move on after, say, four or five days, I would meet some people that had been there for maybe a couple of weeks. Yeah, and I would think, "What are you doing here, though?" But it's it's because it's because the people that they found there and the experiences they've had um, is something that they want to continue. Absolutely, and please don't let this be like I'm, Mexico. I'm sure is a country of amazing, undiscovered things that are like absolutely beautiful. And I'm sure we'll get listeners writing in about Mexico being their favourite place to travel and, and backpack. And I'm sure that there's so many experiences out there that have been absolutely mind altering. I just circumstantially, because of you know the, the the sickness and and the places we ended up frequenting, like I think that. It's just, it's so much to do with perspective. Like you say, we, we came across travellers who were having the best trip of their lives. Right, wow. We just needed to shift our mindset and readjust. And just, I think a really cool way to do that is just think, okay, well, how do I, how do I be more like a local here? Yeah. Right? How do I get off these main streets where all the backpackers are? How do I go and meet real people who, who live here? I actually texted you whilst I was in Mexico. I don't know if you remember this and said like, I've not been able to find good Mexican food. And you just said, you sent me back a real cool traveler's text. You were like, you just need to get invited to someone's casa. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, do you know what? He's so right. Like, I just need to find out where the locals are going. I need to find out like how to rip myself away from the the backpacker scene which seemed a little bit um it wasn't so, so vibrant right it was the super super low season hostels were a bit okay, dead yeah. and i think that i just need to get out of that and and more into into the local scene just in order for me and my friend to have a good time in that spot so i can't like i have such fond memories of ripping around those streets with my with my buddy and and in the baking sun mm -hmm. and i think um yeah i'll treasure those for the rest of my life so that's my little take on on mexico it's uh meant more to be just a, an invitation to our listeners we all sometimes think are we having the best time we could possibly having while we're backpacking i think sometimes all that's needed is a little think a little reset text a buddy and ask them like adam help me and just uh see if you can readjust and have a little perspectival shift really helped me so that's my story of mexico i think adam i would like to introduce a new feature on the show do it i think it's going to be called the hostel common room what do you think I like it. I can already imagine what it's about. Yeah, I think just like entering in a hostel common room where you can meet people who look like they've been somewhere for a long time and you go, where is the best place to get a taco? Where can I rent the cheapest bicycles? How do I find this amazing tourist attraction that everyone's talking about? I think that we want to create a forum where we can be the elder statesmen of the common room, sat there peering from behind a newspaper, <laughs> and travellers from all over the world can ask us those questions using our email, tropologypodcast at gmail.com. So I was wondering, I would like to invite you to sit on a hostile common room chair and read out an email that you received from a listener. Has anything fallen into your inbox that you think is worthy of us addressing? Oh, you bet, you bet. I'm gonna, I'm gonna read it right now. I'm looking forward to it. 
Um, yeah, that's really, really funny. Adam frantically tapping away <laughs> on his laptop trying to pull up an email from one of our beautiful listeners. It's really funny the way that you've mentioned it because it's. Uh, I can so easily imagine um, the the scenario where someone walks into a common room of a hostel. You kind of got the desk on the right hand side. There's someone who works there, and then there's me and you in the corner. And someone comes over to maybe approach us and say, "Hey guys, you know, just want to know, uh, you know, what you're up to. How are you? You know, my name's so and so. How long have you been here?" And we say, "We live here." <laughs> we go, "Welcome to Tropology." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, we've been someone, here forever. <laughs> someone comes into the hostel room and thinks, "Who can I ask this question to?" Oh, oh they've got to carry on backpack and dreadlocks. I'll ask them. <laughs> <laughs> no shoes on. They must know. <laughs> So here we are. So here we are. I've got the email. And this email is from Ollie from Canterbury. I've never been to Canterbury, but I think it's very nice. Um, but Ollie says, <laughs> Ollie says, Hi, boys. Loving the first few episodes. Cheers for the laughs. Oh, you're welcome. The company I work for has just awarded me a three-month sabbatical, and it's got my travel juices flowing. Oh. The dilemma... I know it sounds like something you'd say, doesn't it? Uh, the dilemma I now have is choosing where to go. I wanted to ask how you approach planning a trip. Which factors govern your decision-making? I'm really looking forward to hearing from you. Keep up the good work, Ollie Canterbury. Okay, I imagine Adam's going to have a really insightful response to this, Ollie, so I'd like him to do most of the talking. But for me, I will just say, action is the most important thing. You've only got a short sabbatical, and you need to start pulling triggers on where it is that you want to go. So if inaction is a limiting factor, I would say just book the first place that you think of that seems interesting and beautiful to you and get that one-way ticket and just figure it out as you go. Because you sound like a mature and wonderful adult. You've gone on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, you've searched for travel, you've found tropology, and that in and of itself means that you're probably an excellent traveller. So I think trust yourself and take action. But Adam probably has something more sensible and insightful to say, so I'll pass <laughs> over to the better half of tropology. No, well, I'm really trying to put myself in Ollie's position here and think about what I would do with a three-month trip. So, of course, you are limited by the amount of time, and three months is quite a good amount of time. You could spend a month in three different countries, obviously. So what I would probably do is think about a region where there are three countries that back onto one another or ones that, as I was saying, well, I've said it on many times, many times on this podcast that I quite like to travel over land. So if there are two or three countries that, that really tickle your fancy and you can get to all of them just by using buses and walking and trains and that kind of thing, I think that'd be a really, really good trip. It's got to be somewhere that you're interested in. I mean, three months sabbatical, it sounds like, um, you know, you obviously haven't got all the time in the world. So it's maybe make sure that it is somewhere you're really, really genuinely interested in going. Maybe it's the food, the culture that draws you there. Um, if it was me, I would, I've been looking at Central America recently, Al. Very interesting. I'm actually going to be heading to Central America straight after Morocco. I'm going to be in Belize. So that's exciting. Me, maybe me and Ollie can hang out in Belize together. <laughs> but I like what you said. I think three months, don't overstuff your carry-on bag with too many ideas. I like to spend like a month in each country 
but maybe, you know, if there's a few different places you want to try, you can maybe shoot for no more than five countries in that three-month period, in my opinion. I think pick a little section of the world that you can travel east to west or north to south or vice versa and, and maybe sojourn around that little part. That sounds like really sound and solid advice. Yeah, I, honestly, if it was me, my first sort of knee-jerk reaction is Central America because I've been looking at a lot of that recently. So you could even do sort of the tail end of Mexico through Belize, and then into somewhere like Guatemala. Absolutely. Or perhaps another trip I was looking at before COVID, the seed's been planted. So, you know, <laughs> that's the reason I still think about it every day. You can do all of South Korea from north to south. And then there's a place in South Korea called uh, Busan, where you can actually get a ferry over to Fukuoka, which is in the south of Japan, and then go from sort of south to north, uh, and if you leave now, you might even catch the cherry blossoms in Japan. So, you know, those sorts of trips, I just love sort of planning things like that. That's excited. Let me let me throw a couple more ideas into the pot. I mean, I think three months, depending on Ollie's previous experience, you know, he's got Vietnam south from Hanoi to Ho Chi Minh City into uh, Cambodia, Laos, mm-hmm. Thailand. That's one potential yeah. option. And then he's also got uh, maybe Buenos Aires down south through Patagonia and then across to Chile and then north through Chile. These are a couple of different ideas of like very connected trips that he could do, countries that backpack through to one another. So I think Oli basically needs to um, have a think about how he can connect countries up. Only take two flights, Oli. That's what I will say. One flight in and then three months later, you'll be taking a flight out. So Try and um, limit your CO2 emissions, man. (laughs) No, I definitely agree with that. I think if you can sort of stay on the ground and see many different aspects, just think about what's most important to you in that moment, I guess. You know, I've been looking at even India, for example. If you go to India for three months, that's also going to be absolutely incredible. Yeah, amazing. Ollie, I'm going to wish you all the best. I think... What an amazing thing that you, a tropologist, a fully qualified tropologist, is going to head out into the world and make the most of that three-month trip. So often on tropology, we talk about the long-term nomad, the permanent itinerant, sojourning out on this crazy adventure of a lifetime, doing away with mundanity and living life as a pure experientialist but ollie defying all barriers has said you know what for those three months i am the long-term nomad three months for me is the time i have and with that i'm going to experience holistically everything which i want to experience we salute you that three-fingered tripological salute extended out to you across the airways we love you ollie and we want you to send us an email in the future at tropologypodcast at gmail.com and when you're there nipping from hostel to hostel all over the planet why not tell people spread the word you are ollie from canterbury and you have heard of a podcast called tropology why not listen to it together huddle around a campfire share this podcast with your friends we encourage all our listeners to do the same word of mouth is how we will grow and we will start this long-term travel community me adam and you the listener let's do it we can travel. We should travel. We will travel. Next week on the podcast, I will be traveling in Morocco. I will be phoning Adam and I'll be describing tales from Marrakesh. 
tips from Tangiers and all types of wonderful stories. Are you excited, Adam? I can't wait. I can't wait. Can you please go to Agadir? Just if, if you've got the time, if you've got the time, I've got some friends in Agadir and they'll cook you the best breakfast you've ever had. I absolutely will call you from Agadir for the best <laughs> breakfast I've ever had. Okay, next week on Tropology, I don't know about you, but I'm sick of living right here in the present. I'm going to jump cut to next week. I'm going to head there right now. Let's go. Let's go. Now.